Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemchak here alongside Stephen Trinkwald, and we are once again doing one of our favorite annual off-season exercises in lieu of actual game day content because there are no games right now. Um, we're doing a, a rookie recap, um, and we figured, what, what do we do, Stephen? In 2020, we did guards. Last season, we did wings. So now we're doing bigs. That's right. Yeah, we focused a little more on uh, point guards, but it was pretty flexible. I think some of the players, in hindsight, you could kind of categorize more as a, a two now. But yeah, we thought we would take a look at some uh, some pure bigs, a couple centers, and maybe one player uh, in between positions, I think. Difficult to classify for sure. Um, so if if right away you're listening to this and you're like, no, 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 she's a she's a forward, she's actually a wing, then, you know, that's, that's cool. You can argue with us. But yeah. Um, yeah, and we also uh, excluded a few players on purpose, not because we don't like them, but because, you know, I think it kind of defeats the purpose of this exercise if we're saying, yeah, and Alyssa Smith, she was really good, uh, <laughs> you know, or yeah, Shakira Austin, she's she's amazing. You know, we, we like to kind of look at these players who maybe had less of a role in their rookie seasons, kind of assess where we were at uh, on them prior to the season and where we think they're going in the future. Am I missing anything with that? Well, I mean, I think part of it is, you know, just to give a little bit more of, um, you know, content time to these players that, you know, deserve being talked about. And I think they're in some ways like more interesting to talk about players that are not, you know, lottery picks, highly regarded um, prospects. And the other thing is, you know, we don't want to repeat ourselves too much. We're going to be talking heavily about the very best players, 25 and under whenever we do that episode. So there's only so much to say about specific players. So if we can focus a little bit more on players that are, you know, not kind of uh, stars in the making, I, I think it just makes for a little bit more of a, an interesting episode here. Well said. I agree. Okay. Um, shall we get started here? We've got three players to talk about. Uh, we've got Nas Hillman on the Atlanta Dream, Queen Egbo, the Indiana Fever, and Olivia Nelson Adota on the LA Sparks. Who should we start with? Let's start with uh, Queen Egbo. She was the one taken first in the draft out of these players, taken number 10 last year by the Fever. Her sort of overall kind of rookie season context here, she played 720 minutes last season. That was fourth in total minutes among true rookies this past season. Her per 36 numbers, 12 points, 10 and a half rebounds, three and a half stocks, three turnovers, and five fouls. Again, that's per 36 minutes. She was under 50% true shooting, so for a center, definitely um, an area of opportunity. But one thing that jumped out to me, Eric, she was the 12th true rookie. So, you know, a lot of uh, first-year players, you know, from early WNBA seasons that were coming in in, you know, their late 20s or, or 30s in some cases to have 30 block, 30 steal seasons. But Queen is, was- is this Rebecca Gardner exclusion? Uh, I don't I don't remember if she qualified to be honest with you. No, I'm just I'm just saying. Um, but yeah, she was the twelfth uh, true rookie to have a thirty block, thirty steal season in the WNBA. Which you know, disclaimer, obviously like stat totals are a little wonky in seasons where you know you don't always play the same number of games and, and stuff like that. But I still thought it was interesting to to have that kind of uh, impact as a, a stocks player. We love our stocks for sure. Um, I'm gonna kind of preface our discussion on Queen Egbo by going over what I thought of her prior to the draft. And it wasn't very much, honestly. Uh, She was obviously a great offensive rebound at Baylor. You know, she's got those long arms. She's got a motor. You know, she always gives that second effort on the glass. I think she can move her feet pretty well. But other than that, she didn't really stand out to me that much. Um, Maybe it was because uh, she was playing next to a clear lottery pick in Alyssa Smith or 
she, you know, she didn't really show much in the way of you know, left hand or uh, any real tangible offensive skills besides crashing the glass, which which I like, you know, to be fair, to be fair. Um, also, she didn't really get out in transition that much, which I thought was interesting because you, if you look at her frame, she kind of profiles as a player who you would expect to beat her assignment on the floor, uh, you know, rim running at a, at a high frequency, but she didn't really do that. You know, I could see her becoming a defensive playmaker, but she, could she become a defensive anchor? I think that's a key distinction here when we're talking about WNBA impact. Yes, you can have a player, a, a long-armed uh, wingspan big, come off the bench maybe and and block a shot or two in, I don't know, nine to ten minutes every game. But can you, as a big, anchor a defense for, say, 26 minutes a game and truly make your team's defense better by you know patrolling the paint, by getting those defensive rebounds, by discouraging shots at the rim, uh, things along of, of, of those natures. So I thought she was probably the most raw of the three players we're discussing, and that's not just offensive skills. I just wasn't sure what offensive skill she was going to bring to the WNBA. I mean, you know, I had seen a few games of her in college, and it was kind of one of those things where, like, the post-up numbers are very uh, not encouraging. If she wasn't posting up and doing so inefficiently, she was kind of taking, you know, a mid-range jump shot that didn't look too great. So I think, you know, there was reason for skepticism, especially as an offensive player, and something that we hit on a couple weeks ago is... I, I think kind of what she really did do well was a little bit harder to kind of navigate in the college game where, you know, like like I had said a few weeks ago, the there's not as much spacing for centers to have to make up a ton of ground. There's not as much dynamic guard play where guards are really putting a ton of pressure on the rim and you have to see a lot of help defense. And, you know, you're not often as a, a high-profile center, you know, guarding a WNBA-caliber center uh, in college basketball. So... A lot of the things where Queen Egbo kind of showed that she belonged in the WNBA pretty immediately, I think were a little, I'm sure, you know, if people who kind of pour more time and resources into scouting, you know, saw things that, that I didn't see, but, you know, I just, I don't watch that much college basketball and probably not very good at it when I do. So, but I do remember very, very early on, uh, I think when you had gone to Indiana, you texting me like, okay, I think we were wrong about Queen Egbo. Yes, uh, that was in the preseason game. And I know a lot of people don't like to look at preseason results as, you know, as gospel. Um, but when you're there, because when you're there at a preseason game and you see a rookie hanging with WNBA caliber bigs, physically speaking, right out of the box, then it's like, okay, that's that that's something, right? Um, the sky, granted, the, the sky were not at full strength. Candace Parker was sitting. I forget who else was sitting, but, you know, preseason lineups. But Egbo, it, it, regardless, she was outworking the sky bigs on the glass. She was finishing strongly at the basket, which was not something that completely translated to her uh, her regular season performance. But, yeah, I was, I was ready to eat my words immediately. I think a lot of people, myself included, when the Fever made this selection, we were like, you know, what this this is a very raw player why are you investing a first round pick in her but it was very apparent right out of the gate what queen egbo would bring to the fever and that did continue for the majority of the regular season you know she was she was starting games for them i'm not going to say she was a defensive anchor because the fever still had a pretty lousy defense but the, the tools were definitely there you could see the vision right yeah definitely the building blocks of a defensive anchor at least and obviously you know this is a league with still star caliber offensive bigs and I think the real appeal to Queen Egbo is as a defensive player but you know she really she showed a lot I think and we mentioned kind of the playmaking numbers up top 
in terms of her total stocks numbers. She was fifth in total blocks in the WNBA last season, seventh in block percentage, of course, with the good steal numbers as well. And, you know, one thing that jumped out to me was just her ability and willingness and, you know, comfort blocking shots with both hands. You know, she very often goes for the block with the correct hand. She's, she's extremely comfortable, you know, blocking shots with her left hand, which is her off hand. And, you know, it's it sounds simple to just block shots with both hands. You know, it's not like shooting a basketball or something, but, you know, it, it can be a, an area where bigs struggle a little bit more. And it's, it's very important for avoiding fouls, but also, you know, not having to like reach across the offensive player's body and, you know, you just increase your likelihood of a block if you're kind of going up and challenging with the correct hand. And I think if it wasn't sort of 50-50 with her, her blocks with right hand and left hand, like she definitely was comfortable kind of challenging with both. And I thought that was really, really encouraging. And just sort of, you know, the scheme versatility that uh, I think Queen Egbo showed. Again, this was like a really bad defense uh, again as they... How could that be? They drafted for defense. <laughs> well, you know, Eric, it, it takes time, let's say. It does, it does. Um, but, you know, she had really good moments uh, trapping and hard hedging, and I think she has really great physical tools to be able to kind of build on those moments. Um, you know, the ability for her to kind of move on the perimeter. Like, you know, I don't think she's Ezzie Magbiger on the perimeter, but she's mobile enough, I think, and she has great length for her size, really disruptive hands, it would seem. Um, I think she has the length to protect the rim in a drop. You know, we already kind of mentioned the shot blocking. You know, there's probably still some learning to do, just, you know, defending the pick and roll two on two, but in a drop coverage where she's just kind of relying more on, you know, or relying less, I should say, on playing in the perimeter and more traditionally. Like, I don't think there's any reason why she wouldn't be able to do that. And, you know, maybe she can be a switchable defender. I think she's not the best kind of like most balanced defender out there, like getting into a defensive stance on guards and wings. But, you know, we're talking about a rookie center here. I think I'm so impressed physically with everything else that she was able to do that I'm not going to like write it off yet. I I think of all the players that were, I mean, all three of the players, I should say that we're going to be talking about, like, You can see the most, I guess, different avenues of her being like an effective defensive player, I think. Do you think that's fair to say? For sure. And and just to add some additional context to that, how many WNBA centers come to the league and can play several different defensive coverages? Not many. Uh, Granted, the situation here is that uh, the Fever were not, I don't want to say they weren't trying to win games, but they weren't doing a very good job of winning games. And it was pretty obvious that they were taking more of a player development approach. So they were they were letting Egbo play through her mistakes. But you're right. I mean, the defensive versatility here is huge. And that is a major thing when you're talking about a WNBA-level rim protector or WNBA-level paint protector is you got to be able to, to mix up your defensive coverages or else teams are going to quickly scheme you off the floor, Right. And Egbo, you're right. I mean, it didn't reflect in the team's overall defense, but I want to kind of look at it from a different a different angle here for a second. How many good perimeter defenders did the Fever have last season? Probably not many. Yeah, very few. I mean, not many. Maybe and, you and while say D-Rob is still there. Maybe, but usually we say, okay, it's interior defense is, is more important and more impactful than perimeter defense. Yeah, that's true. But if you're an interior defender that is constantly being put out of position and constantly being put in precarious spots thanks to poor perimeter defense then your own numbers aren't going to look very good so um i agree i think Egbo could be the backbone of a pretty good defense to you no i definitely think so i mean it's so hard to kind of imagine i shouldn't say it's hard to imagine but it's it can certainly be very situational for a player who is not going to be a high usage center sort of a 
a, a defense only, a, a very good defensive player who's maybe your fifth option offensively for that to be sure. a, a center in this league as it is still so kind of star big driven. But I mean, this is probably a silly comparison, but like the player that I kept thinking about, like how, how it would work on just like a best case scenario is, is Ezzie Magbiger, you know, a player who is just kind of asked to play really great defense and, you know, as he spots up a little bit more, but it's not like she's guarded out there really. It's more just, you know, rolling to the basket and, you know, finishing those opportunities, maybe picking up on the offensive glass a little bit, punishing the occasional smaller player down there. Like they they're not running offense for Ezzy Magbiger and it's still, you know, a pretty good offense out there when they have the right lineup combinations. So, you know, Ezzy is I, I didn't really look, but maybe what? Like they're probably within a year or so in age, and obviously Magbiger's already like she's won, still very young, won a title and stuff like that. So it's kind of hard to compare like a, a seasoned veteran who is also around the same age. But it was just kind of like the uh, the comparison that kind of just when I'm thinking about like okay, how is this player like? What does it look like on a successful offense if you're not you know a dominant post player? And the post up numbers, Eric, they are not good. So I. I forgot how many times I tweeted this during the regular season, but as the Fever season uh, slogged on, they were posting up Queen Eggbo more and more, and I had absolutely no idea why. I mean, I, I kind of figured why. It's like, what do we have to lose? Um, let's see if she can develop this skill. It was not looking great. And I had it was the same concern that I had of her as, as a prospect. You know, she just doesn't really have a go-to move in the post. I feel like she rushes, rushes her shot often. She doesn't really have a left hand. And she just doesn't seem, like I said, she just doesn't really have a, a good go-to post move. Maybe it's more athleticism than strength at this point, but there's just not a whole lot of finesse around the basket there. And they just kept doing it. And I, I understand why. It's like, you're not going to win any games this season. You're not trying to win games this season. You may not even be trying to win games next season, for all I know. Uh, why not try to bring this out of your of, of your young player in real game reps? And I think that's that's the important distinguisher here. It's like you can do all this, you can do all the post ups you want in practice, but it, when when opposing teams have to scout for it or they have to make a decision with it, sure. Right now, teams are probably saying, okay, let Queen Eggbo post up. You know, we don't care. Um, it's still important to get those reps in in a regular season game if you're going to bring that skill out of a player. So I did not like watching it, but I could understand why they were doing it. Yeah, the overall numbers not too good. Point. 716 points per possession on 81 post-up possessions. She shot less than uh, 40% on those. I think it was around 37%. Um, yeah, that's horrible. That, that's posting up. She actually had overall kind of bad numbers as a pick and roll big, um, but she was effective as a roller. She was over a point per possession rolling to the basket. The overall numbers were dragged down by just being 0 for 13 on pick and pops. So, you know, jump shots basically out of the pick and roll and you know, no surprise there. We kind of mentioned that the jump shot doesn't look too good. A pick and pop can be kind of a hard sort of motion to learn. You're, you're sort of floating sideways and kind of getting ready to, to catch and shoot. But, you know, rolling to the basket, I, I think there was some promising moments there. And, you know, overall, she she definitely needs to, like, improve as a finisher. Uh, some of the attempts that she just puts up, whether, whether it is posting up, whether it's rolling to the basket, offensive rebound, they, you know, they'll just kind of miss the rim completely. They'll hit sort of like the top of the square on the backboard she'll airball some of them you know try to put it up over double teams she kind of fell in love with like a turnaround jump shot at a couple of points in the season but I mean honestly Eric I have to say like 
she it, it seems like she's not as far away from being a decent offensive player as I kind of thought she was just looking at the numbers like there are some some of the bad finishes that just kind of have no chance and some decision makings that you know can probably be improved upon is it because of the role playmaking or the well, role play well, the finishing? finishing is good but also just you know some of the other just misses around the basket just like incremental improvement on your finishing I think you know we're looking at a very passable offensive player here and you know we've seen a lot of players after their rookie season improve on their finishing around the basket um and she you know we'll get to another player in Nas Hillman like Nas has to kind of go you know finish under and around players where Queen Egbo you know she's she's still finishing over them them. Uh, she's just not finishing over them um but you know it's there basically I I think some of it it's just never going to be there like I don't it would be a very long road for her to be like an effective post-up player on like size players. Like it, it just doesn't really seem like the offense is going to run through Queen Eggball in the post anytime soon. But the other finishes, maybe against a smaller player uh, or, you know, rolling to the basket, stuff like that, offensive rebounds. Like I really think incremental improvement on her finishing can can kind of turn that around a little bit. Well, okay, I can get with that. And, and like you said, uh, towards the end of your spiel there, if it depends on the role she's playing. Um, if the Fever are competing, I really don't think Agbo is going to be posting up that often or their offense is not going to be emphasizing Queen Agbo post-ups. Because, I mean, if you've got Kelsey Mitchell on your team, if you have maybe another, you know, like a Melissa Smith or a couple other good offensive players on your team and you're trying to compete, you're, you're probably not, you know, a Queen Agbo post-up is probably not going to be very high in your, in your playbook, right? And, um, hey, maybe, you know, you're kind of in this rookie season seeing – if she can do it, and also maybe you're showing her that this is not a, a very good option for you. Like, you can kind of show her the numbers <laughs> now after one season say, hey, we, we do a lot of things better than this specific thing, so maybe let's cut up back on these possessions a little bit. That's interesting. Okay, I didn't, I didn't think of it that way. Well, we'll see what happens next year. The, the fun part about this exercise is we always see, like, okay, here's what we saw, here's what we would like to see, and then we are inevitably wrong about something. But, yeah. Okay, I can I can get with that. Yeah, one other thing I think I'd like to see is just maybe her improving as as a screener to be able to kind of, I mean, this team did not really have a lot of like pick and roll options as a guard. No. That that's not really Kelsey Mitchell's best game. Um, you know, their guard play is kind of all over the place in terms of who is getting minutes. But if she can improve as a screener and as a diver, I think that's going to open things up for uh, a lot of different players here. And you know, she she is only at eighteen percent usage, which is you know it's not you know, incredibly low, but it's not like she's like, you know, at a 25% usage in posting up at 0.716 points per possession. You know, she's kind of on like the lower end of like what you'll see from like real starting players, I think. So I guess that's uh, encouraging (laughs) in some ways. Um, But I guess like, you know, how did she kind of meet your expectations or or how, how are you feeling about her after year one? Well, she was clearly much better than I expected coming out of college, although I did have to give myself kind of a little bit of bigger room there because I saw her during the preseason, and I was like, okay, this is she's going to be a decent player. Um, I think she was much better as a rim protector than I anticipated, uh, even though I thought that'd kind of be her calling card if she was able to stay in the league, which she did. Like I said, I think it's rare to see a big come in and immediately become an above-average rim protector for that kind of minutes, and which she did. Expect her to be a good rebounder expected her to be a low efficiency scorer um i expected her to not really get out in transition because like i said at baylor that wasn't really her thing either i was kind of still disappointed by it 
because I figured just looking at her frame, she was a player who should be able to run the floor a little bit more. And considering like the Fever, they played at a pretty fast pace for most of the season. So I'm not really sure if that's schematic stuff or if she's, you know, just needs to work on her conditioning a little bit. That might be one thing that I'd like to see out of Queen Agbo next year is to up her transition frequency. But yeah, And I, I also thought that she was, uh, she got beat in transition defensively a fair amount. And again, that, that probably is just a conditioning thing. Like, you know, rookies... You're coming off a season already. You know, you don't have time to kind of put the work in over the offseason. Yeah, and a lot of rookies just don't take care of their bodies the way a 5-10 year vet will. But um, for all her weaknesses, I think it's it's safe to say that she was a pretty good value at number 10. Um, definitely not a bust. Definitely not a bad pick at number 10. You can make the argument, I think, that the Fever could have selected a couple different players there at number 10. But uh, I think overall this pick is, is paying dividends for them already. And uh, I'm excited to see where Eggbowl goes. Yeah, I think what I'm about to say might be a somewhat unpopular opinion because I know uh, one of the players that I'm going to mention has quite a strong uh, fan base in the league already. But, you know, for this Indiana team who, of course, very recently invested a lottery pick in a center just a few years ago. Um, and, and honestly, Eric, by the time this episode comes out, you know, they may be in the driver's seat to take a center number one overall because uh, <laughs> very true. Uh, lottery is coming up after we're recording, but before this is being released. So this this may all be moot, but, you know, to me, you know, Queen Egbo is almost certainly never going to put up Tier McCowan numbers and probably is in some ways like a worse individual basketball player than Tier McCowan, but it's so much easier for me to see her like fitting into a good team as a lower usage player who raises your team's defensive ceiling and can kind of fit into different defensive schemes depending on kind of like how how she progresses as a defender but also like how you want to defend you know it it does seem like she has a lot of different tools and it that to me for being like a high level kind of team with championship aspirations it's just a lot easier to fit in than like a Tierra McCowan given her specific weaknesses who is a little bit more to me a floor raiser than a ceiling raiser I think well it's almost like Tierra McCowan needs to get starters level minutes to really make an impact right but you could still see queen eggball come off the bench and make a good impact for the fever which like you said down the road may be happening next season may not i would if if i was a fever i would definitely hope i get that number one overall pick and uh take that unnamed player out of south carolina but uh yeah we'll see what happens uh, i think the the prognosis for for queen eggball is good let's uh let's move on um we're gonna talk about the aforementioned nas hillman now for the Atlanta Dream. What did she do her rookie season, Steven? Yeah, 674 minutes as a rookie. That was fifth among true rookies in total minutes, right behind Queen Egbo. Her per 36 numbers, eight points, nine rebounds, 1.7 stocks, fewer than three fouls, which is the most encouraging figure, I think, on this list of players that we'll talk about. Yeah, two, that's good. Two turnovers and 53.5% true shooting, but... As I mentioned, not really a stocks player. She was seventh on the dream in steal rate and sixth on the dream in block rate. So, uh, Eric, a highly, I guess, uh, accomplished college player. Tell us a little bit about, I guess, uh, Michigan Nas Hillman. Yeah, highly, highly, highly accomplished. Um, one of my favorite players ever to watch in the Big Ten, honestly. She's really, really strong, but also had a really good motor. If you think about a player who, who's mostly paint-bound in her offensive game, draws a ton of double teams, 
hits the glass like nobody's business and finishes through contact like nobody's business. You'd figure she's she profiles like, you know, six foot five, burly, can't really run that well. But that's not really the case. She's got a great motor. She can finish with both hands. I think she's maybe more skilled than she's given credit for, given her, her shot profile. She's She had all the tools to put up huge scoring numbers as a collegiate post player. Collegiate being the operative word here. Um, I think she's got a good feel for the game. You know, she faced so much defensive attention at Michigan, but she really rarely seemed rushed. Uh, she's a willing and accurate passer, uh, not to be confused with a frequent passer, but uh, there's nothing really quote-unquote clumsy or raw about her game. Like, if we're comparing her collegiate game to Queen Egbo's game, Nas Hillman, Michigan, ran their offense through the low post through Nas Hillman. She was regularly finishing through contacts, regularly beating double teams, drawing a ton of fouls. Granted, given her her frame, you know, she's... How, how tall would you say she is? Six foot one at most, right? Yeah, she's small for a power She is an probably. undersized big. That, that actually sounds kind of funny, undersized big. But anyway, um... My major concern for her heading to the pros was, like, look at what I've just said so far. Uh, she's paint-bound, she's short, and she's not really a defensive playmaker either. You know, for for all of her strengths and for all of her gouty individual statistics at Michigan, she was never much of a steals and or a blocks player. So a big of that physical archetype needs to either be able to hit long-range jumpers with consistency or make plays on defense to be a major contributor on a good team, Right. She didn't really do either of those things in college. So, and also, you know, her post moves, while they were effective in college, they defended mostly on physicality rather than finesse. I think you put it very well, Stephen, when you said, whereas Egbo in the WNBA was trying to finish over defenders, Hellman was trying to finish underneath or through defenders. And I mean, that could be just a product of their height, but, you know, what I'd like to see, what I wanted to see from her is if she could shift her post-up scoring to pick-and-roll scoring. Uh, her post-up percentage, let me see here, it was it was massive, yeah. 58.6% of the, her offensive possessions came in the post. Um, as a role man, 3% of her offensive possessions. So that gives you an idea of what Michigan wanted to do with her offensively, which is all fine and good. But, you know, when you get to the WNBA and you're six foot one and you're operating almost exclusively in the paint, something's got to give there. You, know, you, you have to adjust your game a little bit. Fortunately, I think she landed in a pretty good situation in Atlanta. Uh, tooting my own horn a bit, I did have her going to Atlanta in my in my mock draft, which is rare that I get a second round pick correct there. But I think it was a good situation, you know, because they had Cheyenne Parker, they had Monique Billings, but there wasn't really much in the way of front court competition there besides those two players. Well, especially I, after you, if I can jump in, I mean, they they did start Nia Coffey until she got hurt. Like you know, that was their plan. They they planned on starting Nia Coffey at the four, bringing Monique Billings and, and Nas maybe off the bench. But they also traded Kia Vaughn to be their backup well, center as well. Yes, but what I was going to say was at least an opportunity to make a roster, not not be a, a oh, okay. regular yeah, that, contributor right, for sure. Um, but and yes, you are correct. A lot of what Nas did was a product of injuries. You know, Nia Coffey missed. However many games, Kia Vaughn missed a handful of games. Monique Billings missed like, what was it, like 10 games? Something like that. So there was opportunity kind of gifted to Nas Hellman as a rookie in Atlanta. What did you think of her? Well, I think there were things to like and things to be concerned about, Eric. You know, we mentioned her not, I guess, probably pro size in terms of her position. You know, she's a little bit smaller for her game for sure you know she has the offensive game of like a back to the basket center basically and that it, it's going to be a challenge with her size and that bore out you know she had her shot blocked on 20 percent of her paint attempts eric that is 
uh, a pretty high number. Um, her teammate, Cheyenne Parker, had about the same frequency as a rookie. So this is not some element of her game that can never improve, you know. But Cheyenne is also like one of the biggest developmental curves as a WNBA player in the league right now, you know. So if you are... There are not many players. I- I've never seen a player develop like Cheyenne Parker has. So, you know, it's it's not to say that she can't improve upon it, but it, it's also kind of asking a lot if, if this is kind of your uh, baseline, you know what I'm saying? Um, but she, under 12% usage, that is a very, very low number. You know, there were basically five other players who played 500 minutes and were under 13% usage. Lexi Brown and Bridget Carlton, like, established kind of floor spacing. I know you are very specific about this term, Eric, but I would categorize them as 3 and D type players. Um, you know, Bree Turner, like a, a defensive player of the year candidate. But I think, you know, it's fair to say she also hurt their offense at times with her historically low usage. And then Veronica Burton and Kayla Thornton, a couple of other outstanding defenders who who check a lot of other boxes for Dallas, even if they are not, you know, soaking up a ton of usage. So it is possible to be an effective player on such low usage, but it's difficult. You do have to kind of check specific boxes and you know, it remains to be seen if, if Nas will check those, as we mentioned. I think I wouldn't say this is the biggest disappointment of her game, but uh, something I was hoping for a little bit more of from Nas was just like as an offensive rebounder, you know, she was basically 15% or higher in college every single season. And she grabbed 8% offensive rebound rate in the pros. Like, that's fine. And 8%, it's not bad. Yeah, exactly. But it's not sort of if you're making your bones on offensive rebounding, you kind of want to be a little bit higher than 8%. But again, perfectly fine, but 17th among qualifying players. And, and it was behind Queen. It was behind Nelson Adota. It was behind Emily Engsler, behind Shakira Austin. So other bigs in her rookie class were kind of putting up more gaudy offensive rebound numbers. And honestly, All bigs who are several inches taller. Yeah. And in offensive rebounding, it's, it's a little bit of a young player's game, right? To kind of chase down the boards like that. But that's, you know, some of the sort of, uh, I guess, things that you could be a little bit concerned about with her. Um, but... You did mention that she is a good, but maybe not in college, at least the most willing passer. I thought she was a pretty decent connective passer and a pretty unselfish passer, maybe too unselfish at times as a passer in the WNBA and her rookie season. And the other thing that really stuck out to me was just how good of a screener she is. She is a really, really solid screener and a really, really great at setting legal screens, which is so hard for <laughs> that's important. So hard for any player to do in the WNBA with how they call it. Never mind a rookie big, but you know, she, I think brought a lot of value as a screener and, you know, struggled in a lot of other areas, Eric. She's an effective screener. Was she an effective roller? I don't think she was really used as a roller all that much, right? I mean, her well, her biggest kind of uh, play type here was spotting up from long two. Okay, that's then that's not good. Um, for any, I mean, for almost any player, that's not good. But uh, that kind of speaks to my concerns about her heading into the league. Teams are not going to throw automatic double team at not someone in the post like uh, WNBA teams aren't going to do that like Big Ten teams did. And, you know, I mean, I mean, if you're consistently three or four inches shorter at, at least than whoever you're trying to outmuscle, the results are just going to be a little different. And than they the other were in thing college. It's like she's she wasn't even she struggled a little bit. It went it got better over the season, but she struggled a little bit to even punish smaller players down low in the post. Like Diana Taurasi got a couple blocks on her. She failed to score against Sophie Cunningham in a play that I saw. She had Crystal Dangerfield all alone on the right block and couldn't finish through it. Oh, that's um, not good. You know, she had five and ones to nineteen times having her shot blocked, so not amazing. 
Uh, Jasmine Walker had three recorded blocks in 280 minutes, and Nas Hillman got blocked. <laughs> I was going to say, did she even play? Uh, trying to take Walker one-on-one. It wasn't recorded as a block because I watched Jasmine's three blocks, but she definitely blocked her shot. Um, so that's not too encouraging. So, you know, the, the I guess the boxes that you were kind of really hoping she would check, I guess, you know, the, the good and the bad, like she checked some boxes that were maybe surprising that she did check, but didn't check the ones that you were hoping her to hoping for her to check. Okay, I guess that leads me to my next question then. Um, what is her path to becoming a consistent, viable WNBA player? Because, I don't know, man, like a lot of these concerns I had about Nas's game translating were valid. I hate to say I was right about this, but I mean, <laughs> she's still short for a post player. She's still doesn't have a game outside of the paint, really. I mean, she took however many mid-range jump shots, but teams don't care about that, you know? So can she develop a reliable three-point shot? I think that's much easier said than done. Yeah, she was 11 for 25 on catch-and-shoot jumpers. So, you know, if you tell me that a player shoots 44% on catch-and-shoot jumpers, you're you're going to believe that they are at least fairly efficient on those. But 0.815 points per possession because they're all like a foot inside the line. It's like defenses don't care about that. Long twos, right. They're going to just kind of allow you to shoot that because 44% on twos is a win for the defense, basically. So are you able to stretch that out to corner three at least? You know, even if it's not above the arc, you, you got to at least hit those in the corner because a lot of them are just like baseline long twos. And, you know, this team, at least this iteration of this team, like they have a star big, you know, that's going to put opposing defenders in the goal like Cheyenne Parker is going to be the post up did you just call Cheyenne Parker a star big oh I I definitely think she's a star big oh that warms my heart that warms my heart that's awesome but you know the the thing to be I guess uh encouraged about with Nas was how good she was in individual defense I think and I think the interesting thing about Nas in this discussion is she really does profile as a different type of defender than these other two kind of pure centers that we're talking about you know the under three falls per 36 minutes for a rookie big, kind of taking on the assignments that she got. That's definitely impressive. Not a stocks player at all at this point in her career, which we kind of mentioned. And, and they did really miss that when Monique Billings went down. I think that was like kind of a huge turning point in their defense. Their opponent turnover rate like really took a hit kind of. So rep- not fueling that transition offense. Yeah, replacing Monique Billings with Hillman. And honestly, like forcing turnovers was like one of the important ways of, you know, not just generating offense, but just getting stops on defense. You know, this is uh, specific defensive talent. You know, I don't think they're the most versatile group of players aside from a couple of them. And, you know, she, I think she's a good positional defender. You know, she kind of knows where to be and help defense. But when you're, you know, barely breaking six feet, you're, you're just not providing a lot of resistance, either, you know, coming over from the weak side or, you know, more as an individual defender. She's more of kind of like positional defender and she's more defending fours than fives. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's, you know, she's probably the most skilled offensive player in this group, probably the best like individual basketball player that we're going to talk about. But I think it's still just maybe the hardest path to like a consistent rotation player, like on a really good team, you know, paint bound, but not a great finisher, not great size probably below average traditional athleticism in terms of explosiveness. It's not like she's finishing over players like with her leaping ability, strong individual defender, but probably best guarding fours, not only because of her size, but her lack of defensive playmaking. So, you know, maybe the path is like a small ball center in like a switch heavy lineup. Like you have players like Nia Coffey and Ryan Howard around here who can really actually pick up a lot of like the supplemental rim protection as 
threes and fours. So like maybe that that's a situation where it, it can actually work out. But like that's a pretty narrow and, and very specific circumstance. And I'm not really sure what finishing games with Nas Hillman looks like aside from that, unless she becomes the offensive player that can kind of hang as a four and that probably re- uh, translates into hitting shots. And I mean, Eric, her three point shot, I mean, just like her jump shot form, it, it doesn't look like one that's going to translate much further out than it is now, right? No. And if she's got one thing going for it, it's that teams probably aren't going to defend it if she's shooting a three pointer. So maybe the fact that she's going to be wide open if she ever shoots it is of some solace. But yeah, I'm not really sure what the avenue looks like either. Um, I, I think you're right about her being a good positional defender. I think that's important. But again, it's like that only goes so far when you're a big. Um, simply put, I think she either needs to become a much, much better finisher at the basket, which I think she will. You know, is she going to become Sylvia Fowles down there? Probably not. But I think there's room for improvement and there's reason to believe she will improve finishing at the rim as she gets used to the strength and the speed of the WNBA game. Um, but also, can she defend on the perimeter? The, the game is not in a, you know, the WNBA may be kind of lagging behind the traditional or, or the contemporary um, school of thought where everything's five out, everything's, you know, stretching the floor. But, you know, playing these two big lineups, she's got to be able to provide something because she's not going to be getting minutes over Cheyenne Parker. She's not going to be getting minutes over Monique Billings. And what's the, what are the Atlanta Dream going to look like, look like next year? That's my next question. You know, like I said, she was in a pretty darn good position. How many WNBA teams last season would Nas Hillman have made the final roster, like right out of training camp? I think Atlanta, she was, like I said, she was good for at least making the final roster. I don't think she would have been a a, uh, a shoe-in for making many other teams' final rosters. And it just so happened throughout the course of the season, yeah, she ended up getting that opportunity with mixed results. But now i got to see what happens next year, because now I think Atlanta is going to be encouraged they may not be quote unquote rebuilding anymore. They almost made the playoffs. They're probably going to be hungry to make the playoffs next season. If that means, you know, cutting Nas Hellman for a player who is a better fit or, you know, bringing in a draftee who is a better fit, I don't think they're going to hesitate to do that. I, I think I have a little bit more comfort in Nas's place in the league. Next okay. Well, I, I they're mean, probably not going to bring back Kia Vaughn, right? Yeah. Well, she already retired. So it would oh, be well, okay. if they did, but it's happened before. <laughs> that's true that's true uh, but okay. you know I'm I just mean, joking you know this is the WNBA right like I've definitely players that I thought were going to hang around for a few years have definitely been cut way earlier than I, I thought they were going to be so you never want to be kind of like too confident in thinking a player you know has a, a safe position especially as like a second round pick who basically got a lot of their playing time due to injury but I do think you know Nas has played her way into me at least feeling like she should be on this team next year. And I mean, unless they can really kind of overhaul the roster, like so much is open for this team that honestly, they're, they're probably just going to need somebody who is at the pay scale of a second round pick. You know? That's true. That's a great point. Um, but, you know, even besides, you know, the finances of it all, I think Nas has, has played her way into kind of deserving another year on this roster and kind of seeing what the development looks like. At, at the very least, uh, the fifth big, the teams just like to carry just because. Yeah, exactly. You know, taking yeah, up okay. uh, All right. 50% of your roster space on, <laughs> uh, centers. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I think Nas stands are, are probably not going to be too happy with this segment, but you know, she, she should be in the league next year. And 
I think we're fair. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think we're I fair. Think we're I like fair. Nas. I love Nas. I love watching Nas play. She's a she's a hero around these parts. Should we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Um, okay, the final player we're going to be talking about today is Olivia Nelson Adota on the LA Sparks. Um, kind of an enigma for me when she played in college. What did she do as a rookie, Stephen? Well, she only played 425 minutes this season, so about 60% of or so of Nas and Queens minutes. So a much smaller sample size to work with here. Um, she was ninth in total minutes in true rookies. However, uh, 24 minutes a game after Liz Cambage's departure from the Sparks and took over as the starting center shortly after that. So it, it kind of went from like a season of sort of mixed opportunity, you know, playing sparingly to uh, being thrust in there uh, a lot after Liz Cambage left the team. Nine points and seven rebounds per 36 minutes on 60% true shooting. Eric, uh, who knew? Uh, 101 total shooting possessions. So, you know, not not too bad there uh, for her rookie season. Uh, but here's a big number that stuck out to me kind of from what I understood about Olivia Nelson Adota's game coming into the season. 31 turnovers to 11 assists this season. Yeah. Not the playmaking I kind of had in mind from the uh, the high post passer of UConn. Well, I think a couple things to take into consideration here. One, uh, the WNBA is, is not UConn. The LA Sparks are not UConn. When you are playing at UConn, you know, cuts are going to be heavily emphasized. Floor spacing is going to be heavily emphasized. And, you know, making those quick, crisp decisions with the basketball is going to be heavily emphasized. Also, you're going to be playing in the Big East, not the WNBA. So a minor, minor difference there. Um, when Olivia Nelson Adota was in college, I, I said she was kind of an enigma. She clearly had her strengths. You know, um, she was regarded as a very good passer for her position. She had a mid-range jump shot. Maybe it wasn't her calling card, but it was definitely there. And her shot blocking, while it kind of fluctuated season to season, was definitely a strength of hers as well. But her numbers kind of seemed, and this might seem like a kind of a weird take, but her numbers often seem to like overrepresent her impact. She profiled as a good scorer, but it almost seemed like she had like poor scoring instincts around the rim where she just wasn't picking the right finish or, you know, just wasn't finishing strong or anything like that. I I, I don't want to say I hate this term. I hate it. But if there's one term I had to use here for Olivia Nelson Adota, she didn't pass the eye test as an offensive player, at least not to the level needed to be an impact WNBA big. I just wasn't sure how she was going to make an impact at the WNBA level. And I think that was apparent. Um, I, I don't think I was alone with that. If you look at mock drafts, like some mock drafts had her going first round. Some mock drafts had her going late third round. Like people were all over the place on I, Nelson Adora. I was not a believer. I'll just say. Yeah. N- so neither was I. Neither was I, honestly. Um, and it's like, it's like, yeah, okay, cool. She can pass from the top of the key. But are, how many teams' offenses are going to have your rookie big doing that when you have X number of proven offensive weapons who are just better? I know mean, what I mean? Especially on this team where none of those other players can shoot, this particular player yeah. can shoot. Like that skill set, it was going to be very hard for her to kind of maximize that on this yeah, team. Yeah, just, just just a weird fit and and I think a weird season. Now, granted, you mentioned one thing that I think is is key to keep in mind when we're talking about her. The sample size was not that big. And uh, it, she was almost kind of pressed into action after Cambage left the team. Before Cambage left the team, it was like, well, is this player going to make it throughout the season? Um, she did. And she played an increasing number of minutes uh, throughout the season as the Sparks playoff hopes kind of faded. But, uh, man, it was a mixed bag, Steven. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to kind of make you uh, speak unbroken for, for too long, but what did you think after year one? I I don't know. Like, I wasn't expecting much from her anyways. Um, I, I will give her this. I think she was a better scorer than I expected, at least on post-ups. 
Like, she was a pretty decent post-up player. She was a better roller than I expected, but she only got, what, a dozen possessions as a roller, so it's like you can't really say that's say that's a good sample size. Um, I, I think zero... it might be a little bit higher on her than you. I was fairly okay. encouraged. Um, in a okay, way here, here, here's like... one thing. Here's one thing, Go though. Ahead, uh, 0.655 points per possession on cuts. What is that? That's uh, a little discouraging, but, I mean, that's probably a, a small percent of her finishes around the rim. A lot of times centers, you know, we've talked about this before, but a cut for a center, especially this center probably, that's usually, you know, you're kind of dumping it off into like what's called a dunker spot, right? Like kind of that spot right outside of the paint. Um, you know, a guard gets dribble penetration and they kind of dump it off to you and, and you finish it from there. That's a lot of times what kind of center cuts are. I, You know, we don't have synergy film, so we can't actually look at them, but. Okay, so but why was she so inefficient at it? That's that that was that's what I was wondering. Yeah, I mean that's a good question. Uh, and she was pretty efficient at her overall kind of around the basket game. Seventy percent shooting in the restricted area on almost eighty percent of her shots there. Two for nine outside the paint, so that jump shot that you know kind of went in at UConn, but we weren't so sure about it. It didn't really translate in very small sample size here. And then only thirty-five percent overall outside of the restricted area. So it was kind of, you know, right at the rim or bust for Olivia Nelson Adota. And the team really, really struggled offensively with her on the court. I mean, they struggled offensively all the time, but they really <laughs> struggled with her on the court. Even in her uh, 225 minutes alongside Neka Gumake, who was basically this team's kind of on-off offensive numbers champion last year. You know, they, they were much better all the time with Neka on the court. Um, the team was still only in the mid eighties with the two of them. So, which, and that's the, that's kind of alarming to me because Nelson Adota, I figured she would kind of profile, not as a, not as a key cog of your offense, but a good offensive connector. And if your five can't make it work with Neka Agumake, who is like a historically good finisher, then I'm going to have some good, some questions. Um, well, can the, I interest you in some shooting luck, Eric? Um, the team only no. shot <laughs> just, just uh, 25% when she was on the floor. As a team, they shot 41 for 177 from three with her out there, under 25%. So if this if the team just shot you know, 34% from three when she was out there, which is not even average, like that's just a little bit below average instead of well below average, they would have enough, a 50% true shooting instead of like 46 or whatever it was. Oh, so, there you go, small sample size. And, and I, I don't really think Olivia Nelson Adota was adding to or taking away from their three-point shooting luck. Maybe because she was like not being guarded, you know, they were a little bit more contested, but, you know, it's probably minimal if it's anything. So that's not to say they would have been a good offense by any means, but it probably wasn't as bad as the numbers would indicate. One number that was bad, 23.8% turnover rate on a 13.5% usage. Again... Yeah, not good. Not, it's not good. And the thing is, like, Nas Hillman did not have a very favorable ratio of those statistics either but completely different roles and completely different skill sets. Again, if there is one thing I thought Nelson Adota could be dependent on as a rookie, it was connective plays as a passer from the center position. Um, I just didn't see much of that. Did you? No, I didn't really. And her her turnovers, like they were kind of, I mean, I, I don't know if this is good or, or bad really, but it was like a nice blend of travels and moving screens. You know, I think actually Olivia Nelson Adota was kind of like, the poster child for how strict this league's illegal screening rules are like there were a number of illegal screens she was called for where she was stationary but she wasn't like 
standing in the correct position of having the opponent's sort of shoulders go into her Such an annoying chest. call. You know, she was kind of standing sideways or something like that. But, you know, she got called for a lot of moving screens or illegal screens, I should call them. Um, she she traveled a lot. You know, I actually think she has a pretty nice assortment of post moves, spin moves, step throughs. She has pretty incredible strides on her step throughs that allow her to get some really great separation and like generate a pretty clean look at the rim, finish well with both hands, but she can also just kind of get lost in the step throughs a little bit and, you know, either kind of throw it away because she got herself stuck under the rim or just, you know, take one step too many. But overall, I I think she's got a decent little post game. You know, she, if you're going to ask me like, which one of these players is going to be the most kind of reliable, like individual scorer? Like, yeah, Nas Hillman was kind of the decorated college scorer, but Olivia Nelson Adoto can, you know, she can really shimmy with the, with the ball in her hands out there. And she's got room to improve on that too. You know, whereas we just talked about with Nas, like there are so many things standing in Nas Hillman's way of becoming a, a dependable WNBA post-up player. Like Nelson Adoto, she's what, six, four, I want to say maybe six foot five. She's got the long arms. She's got the long strides. And she's already got some semblance of a post game that can make an impact against WNBA uh, level defenders. Yeah, she has a really nice um, like catch radius as well. Obviously, she has like very long arms. It would appear. I, I wish we got wingspan measurements for WNBA. Yeah, that players. would be cool. So it would be nice to not just like guess based on how they look, but just trust me, bro. Yeah, but just, you just know, she, source. Trust me. She has a really great catch and rebound radius. Like she can really kind of pull it down without you know needing to be in the perfect position. You know, one other thing I noticed is that she's really good at just like creating separation on her defender by like hooking her defender's body with just her elbow instead of wrapping her whole arm around. You know, she's so good at getting that elbow around. And a lot of times that is not, not getting called offensive. Foul. Yeah, exactly. And and I think it is legal as opposed to kind of when you use your arm and, uh, you know, generate space that way, that is going to be called an offensive foul. So, you know, I I guess I was just kind of like uh, surprisingly impressed with the, the variety of ways she's able to score down there and score efficiently. Uh, obviously, like I said, travels too much and the passing was not kind of what you would hope for. But definitely want to see her like in pick and roll more, like explore that finishing ability a little bit more and explore the depths of her playmaking ability as a passer. Like that was supposedly one of her big strengths, obviously did not work out in last season's role in her offense, but if she can become a playmaker out of the pick and roll as as a roller rather than someone who just like can't shoot and operates out of the high post like that's going to bring a lot more value to it than the type of passing that she did in college in my opinion okay but now this is something that i think you brought up before her rookie season if you're going to be a threat out of the short roll you got to be able to score so that's kind of like the next step of her game right is making plays out of the short roll i think in order for her to be maximized as a playmaker you got to have some people who can shoot, right? Yeah, and you got to have a pick and roll guard. And obviously, this team did not really let Kennedy Carter play. I mean, they did, but they didn't. Yeah. You know? And their uh, lineup spacing, or, or their spacing, I should say, was very lineup dependent. It's not like uh, they had good spacing for for forty minutes night in and night out. So you know, we'll see what kind of the uh, the overall look of this team kind of feels like next year. Maybe it'll be a lot of the same kind of hyper-athletic wings that, that can't shoot, or, or maybe they'll get a little bit more. I mean, they've got b- almost their entire roster coming off the books. I think the Sparks maybe have the biggest. I don't have the salary sheets in front of me, but I, I feel like they've only got one or two players under contract, right? I mean, so I, th- the- I think it might be a little bit more than that when you think of, when you talk about, like, the Ray Burrells and the Jasmine Walkers. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Not yeah, guaranteed, never mind. that's for sure. 
not guaranteed, right, right, right. But uh, I mean, there, there's definitely some room for them to kind of change everything. Uh, but I, I think kind of drawing a full circle here, I, I think there is reason to be encouraged about Olivia Nelson and Dota being a WNBA player in the future, right? Yeah, you know, defensively, I think there's stuff to like. Like she, she's a pretty good shot blocker. Obviously, she has great size. We mentioned how kind of high we were on Queen Egbo as a a team defender, and you know, maybe Nelson Adota falls into that category as well. But she, I think, is a much better one-on-one defender at this point than Queen Egbo. You know, um, I watched a couple of games a couple of dream games where they played these two teams consecutively. And for as high as we are in Queen, like Cheyenne Parker just completely played Queen Egbo off the floor and Olivia Nesson Adodo kind of did a better job defending her one-on-one. Why do you think that is? Um, maybe just her length and, and her, I think she's probably a little bit, got, got a little bit of a stronger base at this point, but also a lot of it was Cheyenne Parker, as I had mentioned, like just beating Queen Egbo down the floor a couple of times, ah. you know, the um, conditioning and stuff like that. But, the, the thing also is that Olivia Nelson Adoto did average six and a half falls per 36 minutes. So that's, oh, that's not great. Yeah. More than you're allowed. I'm not sure if people know that, but yeah, <laughs> you can only have six. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think she's, I think she's pretty competent, like corralling the ball handler, icing the pick and roll. You know, she doesn't have perfect defensive technique, but I think she has a pretty high floor as a WNBA defender as she sort of learns the game a little bit more and, and has the length to make up at least for some of her, mistakes in terms of like blow buys and stuff like that yeah all in all i think nelson adota did exceed my expectations maybe not in the departments that i expected but she did look like a a decent wnba like a decent end of the bench wnba player god that sounds like such a backhanded compliment but i I was not sure if she was gonna it's a hard thing to make man a lot of players that we were like kind of high on in these conversations in the past are not in the league anymore yeah yeah and that that also says a lot about us (laughs) uh anyway um, I, I do feel good about her, you know, and this stuff about like the cuts, I brought that up. That's a very small sample. And that's something that could easily go up to like 90th percentile in a small sample next year. So it's, th- that really doesn't mean a heck of a lot. So, um, I, I think the tools are there as far as a good low post game. I'm just interested, interested to see how the connective passing turns out because I know she's got it in her. It's just this team's offensive ecosystem last season was such a mess, uh, like you said, no good pick and roll guards that were playing. Um, lineup inconsistencies, not a heck of a lot of shooting. So, a player of Nelson Adota's strengths isn't really going to be at home. I, I mean, in, we in didn't it. really plan to talk about this, but do you have any like immediate thoughts about the sort of fit with Kurt Miller? That's a good question. I feel like he didn't really have. I mean, Alyssa Thomas is like a, a passing big, but so much of a different archetype than man. Like, he, he, well, the thing is, know. he was so by the end of his tenure in Connecticut, and I, you're going to disagree with me on this, but just just let me talk. Um, he was so married to the idea of an Alyssa Thomas-led team. I, I'm not going to say he's good for these players or bad for these players because it's been so long since he's had a brand new like core. A fresh situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, that that's an interesting thing to think about. Because it's funny, like, when I know I've said this before, but when Kurt Miller was hired initially, he was like, oh, this brilliant offensive mind who loved his pick and roll and loved his pace. And then initially you saw that with the Sun, but towards the end of his tenure with the Sun, it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> so uh, th- that's a good question. That's a good question. Yeah. I don't, I don't have an answer. I don't think either of us have an answer, but it would be something no. interesting to see. For something sure. to watch for. Sure. Um, sure. Any, I guess, kind of like wrap up thoughts here? Yeah, it's it's interesting to see how players translate and whenever we do this exercise we learn more and more about what translates from college and what doesn't 
so then the next season you can look at a, a collegiate player who maybe puts up big numbers in, in conference XYZ and you're like, okay, well, that might not mean as much as this player who's you know, a more specific role player in a stronger conference or has this skill set compared to this skill set. So it, this is a fun exercise for sure. Um, but yeah, thank you all so much for listening. We really, really appreciate it. Um, if you have anything to chime in, uh, if you have any, if you want to chime in in any way, please do. Uh, we would love to hear your feedback. Yeah, Nas Hive, come after us. We're ready. Yeah, yeah, please. I'm ready for it. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the show, uh, even after we rip your favorite player or, or complimented <laughs> them, depending on who it is, uh, you can do so by following, rating, and reviewing on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric at E or myself at Trinkwald. And uh, we will talk to you all next time. Okay, take care, everyone.